My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. So just a reminder, we announced last week that we would be doing a mailbag episode. That's going to be coming up. Uh, we'll be recording it in a week or two, so you still have time to get us all of your Animorphs thoughts and questions and opinions and everything exciting that you have to say. Uh, if you want to send us something, you can do so by sending us an email. We are animorphologycast at gmail.com. You can talk to us on Twitter at Animorphology, or you can send us an ask on Tumblr at uh, animorphologycast.tumblr.com. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jay. For the first time ever, we can have real Animorphs news on Animorphology. <gasps> so, listeners and Gray and Jenny, get excited. There are Animorphs graphic novels in the works. <gasps> Michael Grant confirmed it on Twitter. It's a oh thing that is definitely happening is it sometime like in the not-too-distant future. retelling the stories but in graphic novel form? My understanding is that it is a pretty close adaptation. Oh, okay. It's right. not like new stories. It's not yeah, like a loose okay. adaptation. I don't know too much about it, but there was, I think, an art contest on Tumblr. Whoa. And some people, they were asked to adapt a couple of pages. And uh-huh. so there were at least two people who said, I didn't get it. But Mm -hmm. I was allowed to post my art afterwards. So there are two examples that at least I saw on Tumblr of like, this is, these were people who like did, I think it was the Jake morphing a dog scene and maybe the Mm. Elfangor's spaceship coming down scene from the first book. Okay. So get excited, listeners. We will keep you in the loop over the next year. (laughs) But like two weeks late. Real Animorphs news. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm assuming most people. If you're super online about Animorphs, you don't need us. You don't need us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're our friends who don't really care about Animorphs but listen to this podcast, you won't know, so you'll be excited. So what did we read this week? We read The Warning. Where they go to the savannah, right, Greg? Yes. Yes. They go to Africa. And, yeah, I did not guess this one. Yeah, in case any of our readers are confused because they haven't read the book, they do not go to Africa in this book. Should I explain where they go instead? Yeah, let's hear about this book. Uh, All right, so in this book, Jake uses the internet. What? decides on a whim to search... Web Access America for the keyword Yerk and discovers there's exactly one website about Yerks. Uh, and the website has a bunch of information, a list of possible known controllers, uh, and a chat log where people meet every once in a while to gossip about Yerks and do 90s chat things. So Jake tells the other Animorphs, they check it out, they see the name Chapman on the list, they're like, maybe this is legit. Some of the people in the chat room seem like they're innocent people, some definitely seem like controllers who are looking to lure innocent people in. So they need to figure out, is the site run by a controller? Do the Animorphs maybe have allies out there, humans who somehow know about the invasion that they can work with? And they want to figure out the identity of the people in the chat. So Axe first tries to hack into it, but he can't do that remotely. They realize they have to go to the WAA headquarters in order to do the hacking, but that's a 90-minute plane ride away. So what are they going to do about that? Well, they waltz into the airport. They turn into flies and just get on a plane. Unfortunately, Jake gets swatted on the plane ride over, which is a very traumatic experience for him. But when they get there, 
They break into WebAccess America, get into the server room, cause a hilarious distraction so nobody notices Axe and Marco just walk in and steal the passwords. They manage to get the identities of all of the people that were in the chat room, including the person who created the website, who is one Joe Bob Finestre, the second richest man in the world, a mega billionaire who created Web Access America. So this all happens on Saturday. And because it's harder to do missions during school, they're like, what are we going to do on Sunday? They have Jake has to choose between doing what Cassie wants to do, which is save a kid who's on this forum, who's going to talk to his father, who he suspects to be a controller. Cassie thinks they can save the kid from getting infested. Or do what Marco advocates for, which is visit Joe Bob's house right away. He lives, he lives a secluded life in an armored compound, but he created the site. He's got to be at the root of the, the mystery of the Yerk internet website. So Jake's like, all right, we got to do this Joe Bob thing now. It'll be easier to help this kid after school. So instead of doing the research Jake needs to do about the security systems at the house, he hangs out with his family. Um, so the next day he goes in unprepared, and as they're swooping around the house in Bird Morph, checking it out, they see an open window. Rachel tries to fly through it, uh, but she gets zapped and knocked out. They try and rescue Rachel, but Axe gets attacked by Rottweilers and also captured. So they're down two members of the team. Everyone's panicking. Jake's like, how do we break into an armored compound? We don't have any morphs that are strong enough. I know what I need. I need a rhino. So thankfully, the gardens is close by. Jake goes to the gardens. He gets a rhino morph, and he basically busts into this compound. All the other animorphs come in. They're trying to rescue Rachel and Axe, and they have a confrontation with Joe Bob. Turns out he is a controller, but there's a twist. He's Visser 3's twin yerk, which is a thing. And <laughs> he is really, really paranoid that Visser 3 is trying to kill him because he's so rich and successful. He has also discovered the secret of surviving without visiting the yerk pool. All you have to do is kill and eat another yerk. So Joe Bob is a controller who is hiding from Visser 3 and is also like a serial yerk murderer who's also disposing of the humans that are being controlled. So Cassie really wants to kill him to stop him from basically murdering innocent people, even though he's killing yerks. Jake is kind of thinking, well, maybe we should just let him. He's killing 100 yurks a year to, to survive. Maybe they should let him live. So what they say is, you know, we're going to let you live, but you can't ever leave your house. Or if we run into you on the field again, we'll have to kill you. So Cassie and Jake have a big falling out about that decision. Cassie goes off on her own to, in wolf morph, be a magical talking wolf and convince this kid that he shouldn't talk to his dad. Someone, after the mission, burns down Joe Bob Fenestre's house, so he no longer has the protection that Jake and the Animorphs offered him. Uh, Jake's mom tries to comfort him about all of the problems that he's having, uh, and eventually Cassie and Jake make up without really talking about their issues directly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's a lot. A lot happens. Yeah. Uh, should Well, great. What did you think of this book? I was appalled by this book. Yeah? I really was. Tell us more. Go on. There are just so many decisions that are bad decisions. Yeah. And also... In so what way bad? <laughs> there are a number of ways in which they're bad. The lack of communication between the Animorphs, bad. The whole, maybe it's okay for this guy to murder a whole bunch of people, as long as he's also taking out Yerks. I mean, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an entire section of my notes that's just why this could only have been written pre-2001 mm. 
And that includes the way that airports work and also all of the privacy violations that happen throughout this book because they are myriad. Um, it's just, a, it was the, at the whole book, I was appalled by their decision making and really just wanted to be like, what is the point of the thing that you're currently doing? What yeah. is the point? How is this going to help? It was one of those like speculative missions where like, Things will be fine if they don't go do this thing, but maybe if they do this thing, they'll discover an advantage or discover something that they need to fix or something. There's also a little bit, so like the thing with, um, if the site's being run by the Yerks and they're getting more humans infested by using the site, now that they know about it, Cassie at least is advocating they need to stop it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like once they've discovered it, there is a little bit of an obligation to do something about it if it's bad. And then the other way to look at it is like, oh, well, maybe this could actually be really good. We could be friends with some of these people. But certainly there isn't a lot of urgency. Like Jake has that decision. Do we use this weekend day to go visit Joe Bob Finestre when I haven't done the research about his house? Or do we try to save this kid who might talk to his dad and become infested? He's like, oh, we can we can visit the kid another day. We have to do this this today. But like, they don't have to do that today. They could do it a month from now. And if you have a bad feeling going into it, <laughs> pause. Consider that emotion. I feel like we see in Jake books specifically him making really bad decisions. Yes. Well, and a lot of it, there are a lot of moments in this that are about his leadership, his leadership mm-hmm. style and how he thinks about being a leader and what that means to him that I think we should talk more about. And so maybe that's part of it is that even though he's tasked with making the decisions, mm-hmm. he doesn't always make good ones. He knows he doesn't always make good ones. And now we get to see him struggling with that. And that's a perfectly good, you know, kind of side story to the Jake books that I think mm-hmm. we've seen a lot so far. And I I like that. I think it's an interesting take on the style of book where you have a team and there's a leader and they make decisions. Like, it's nice to get into his head and figure out yeah. what he's thinking about it. Um, but yikes. The airplane stuff, I was like, do you not expect delays? Like, it was just so dicey. Even if you didn't, even if no one got swatted. Like, what a terrible idea. Very, very bad idea. Yeah, and they're really taking it down to the minute, right? It's like, oh, we have like a five-minute window at the end, and that's fine. You'd think they'd be more worried. (laughs) There's no way we'll like circle for 20 minutes above this other airport. So what did you think overall, Jenny? I, I, I liked this book. It's not like my favorite, but it is, like the plot is kind of dumb. But there's so much, like it reminded me of the last book, like 15, in that there's so much heavy thematic stuff, just like every, I have so many notes, I just like copied like passages that were pages long, where they're like, talking about fear and leadership and trauma and normalcy and whether they're changing. And like, I feel like things are kind of ramping up on the psychological trauma front. Yeah. I ended up really liking it because, like, the plot is really stupid. It's super (laughs) 90s, as you were saying, Gray. And, like, the internal logic doesn't always make sense, but the thematic stuff is so strong that I really found myself coming around to it. And there's that scene in the middle that's not related to the plot at all where he's having dinner with his family that is just so intense and so good. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, it's a really interesting step forward for Jake. And we got to see, like, his last book was the time travel one. So he got to make a bunch of mistakes and then have it all undone. Uh And then here it's like (laughs) he makes a bunch of mistakes and he has to keep going and live with those kind of choices and mistakes that he's made. And it's really interesting. Yeah, and we've seen him and Cassie have, like, difficulties in the past, like in Nine when she was having, like, a really strong emotional response and he kind of wasn't in step with her on that and... 
ended up yelling at her about some admittedly bad decisions, but, like, it wasn't a great reaction. But, like, this feels like it's entering new territory of, like, they are disagreeing about serious stuff that could cause, like, really create a rift between them. Mm -hmm. And it seems like he relies on Cassie so much for moral guidance, and this is, yeah, troubled, troubled waters. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that we don't get a sense of whether Cassie has any internal conflicts, really, about a lot of these decisions. I mean, there's well, a little bit, but... There's there the is. Yeah, because so the thing is, like, she has this visceral reaction to figuring out that this guy's a serial killer, mm-hmm. and she wants to kill him, but mm-hmm. she wants Jake to do it for her. Yeah. Right? Yep. So, like, I feel like that's a complication to the sort of... I don't know. You could, you could mm-hmm. sort of make the argument that, like, Cassie and Marco are, like, a totally opposite ends of the spectrum here in terms of morality but i think it's a little muddier than that well i think marco is someone who's maybe willing to do the morally questionable thing in part to spare his friends from having to do it and cassie's definitely the opposite of that like she wants very much for herself not to have to do it right and her excuse is pretty weak she says like (laughs) your morph would do it better yeah the tiger would be better at killing like with a clean (laughs) kill than the wolf yeah that's so interesting because immediately before that she attempts to attack him Mm mm-hmm I guess you're right that that is, she she kind of wants it both ways. She wants to attack him, but doesn't want to be the one who yeah. has to kill him. Yeah, and then later when she she's talking to the kid, Gump, who's, um, whose dad is probably a controller, and she says, like, I, I told him, she's, like, crying, she's like, I told him not to trust his dad. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that, like, a disgusting thing to do? So she is definitely not unconflicted about these choices. Do we want to get into, like, the whole... <laughs> Decision at the end of the book? There's so much to get into. I don't know. I mean, even do we know like do we want to start there? Do we want to come back to it? I feel like we should really get into the choice that they face and how it plays <laughs> out to the end. But I don't know. We can come back to it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's start with that biggest choice because there are a lot of other right. choices that come up. But that's really so. Yeah. So I'll lay out kind of what they realize, right? So mm-hmm. Joe Bob Finestre, he's sort of like the Yerk NSA, right? And Visser 3 banished him because he's petty and competitive, right? So the Yerks actually don't have NSA-level surveillance at their disposal because Visser 3 doesn't want to deal with his twin, <laughs> right? It's something like that. And so now Visser 3, you know, hasn't just killed him because he wants to figure out this Candrona secret. And mm-hmm. Joe Bob, for whatever reason, has managed to avoid Visser 3. Who knows? But they find out he's killing a Yerk every three days and eating it in mm-hmm. order to not visit the Yerk pool. And he's using the chat on his website basically to catfish controllers, mm-hmm. right? So he's trying to find other controllers who know about the chat site, then hunt them down and get the Yerks. So then, like, Jake's reaction to that is, okay, well, this is really sick, but if you're wiping out, you know, 100 or more Yerks per year, that's kind of, maybe yeah, that's fine. Yeah, what are we going to do, spare the Yerks? It's like right, and Marco's kind of, like, also there right away. And then Cassie's like, but how are you getting the Yerks out, yeah. right? That's the the first kind of, like, pivot, right? So Cassie tries to attack Joe Bob, Mm -hmm. uh, but Jake tackles her to prevent that from happening. Jake starts to justify it to Cassie, and she says, no, don't say it. If you say it, I won't be able to deal with you anymore. And then Jake is questioning whether or not he was going to actually try and make some kind of positive argument for it. Yeah, because he justifies, like, I already promised him that if he answered our questions, he'd be safe. Just, like, you know, kind of flimsy, if technically true. And 
And then he starts to say, you know, like, besides, and clearly what he's going to say is, like, at least he's taking out all these yerks, and Cassie's like, no, don't say it. And Jake, Jake's like, was I going to say that? Me? And, like, he's really questioning, like, who he's becoming, if that's his impulse. Right. Should we get into, just into that decision a little bit? So, like, what's the, you think this is a bad call, Greg? Say more. I do. I mean... You think Cassie's right? I think Cassie's right. I think they I think they should have killed him. In cold blood. In cold blood. I mean Because that's a line for the Animorphs too, right? They haven't done anything like that. Yeah. I guess. That's not I quite do. in the text, right? But that's yeah. that's the choice they're facing. No, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think that's right. But I guess just as I have I mean, I'm kind of showing my like true neutral, you know, <laughs> box here, but just like I think that when they are faced with the ability to kill Visser free, mm-hmm. that they really should have just done it. I think here, when you have the, this man is killing a hundred people a year mm-hmm. in order to eat their yurks. Yeah. And that is going to include a child, an elementary school child whose name is Gump. And right, because well, Gump's gonna Gump's gonna talk to his dad and yeah. get infested. And right. then, he, and, then and then because Gump is the one for whom Joe Bob, Joe Bob down has the, the information. He's I mean, he's definitely Gump. gonna kill Gump's dad. Uh, Questionable the, whether Gump will be infested. Maybe but, I right, thought right, that was what they said. Sort of, was that sort of that the reason that, that, is, that it's certainly people like Gump. Yes, and so let's let's give a name to one of the people that this man is going to kill. His name is Gump, and he's in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And if they let him live. He is going to kill that child and that child's father in cold blood in order to continue allowing this year to live. Mm-hmm. Nope. He's a serial killer. Kill him. Yeah. There's yeah. no there's no reason to let this man live. There's absolutely, I see no justification yeah, for it. Yeah, so, okay, he's killing 100 yerks a year. That's not that many, and they're not going to be strategically important yerks. Like, it's not like he's taking out the leadership of, you know, the war. Like, 100 yerks a year, like, I'm sure the Animorphs kill that many. Like, it's, he's not really going to be instrumental in stopping this invasion, but he is killing a hundred people, even if you don't care about him killing the Yerks. Right. He's and killing a hundred humans a year. He's killing a human every three days. And in order to, to satisfy the Yerk. And well, I as we have discussed before, I think that the controllers are innocent bystanders. Mm-hmm. At the point at which the Animorphs are facing them, they are at least fighting them. Right? They're not they're not going up against sort of innocent Hork Bajir. The Hork Bajir are charging at them with their knife blades or whatever, right? Yeah, at least operationally they don't have a choice except to fight the Hork Bajir. Exactly. Yeah. In this case, the hundred Yerks a year that they're facing are again children. People who have given their identity to AOL. And I am am so appalled that the moral decision in this case is we can't kill one person in cold blood. You you can't. You're a tiger. Bite his head off. Yeah, you know, it was unclear, like, what the real objection was. Like, clearly it wasn't, well, I promised him that I wouldn't kill him if he answered our questions. Like, that's not, this is serial, you found, he answered your questions, you found out he was a serial killer. You're like, oh, well, I promised. Like, I don't feel like that was really Jake's core objection. Was it, we need him to kill these hundred Yerks? Because again, that doesn't seem that helpful. Or was it just, we aren't willing to kill him in cold blood? So it's a little unclear. I don't think it, because they don't spend a lot of time dwelling on it, right? Mm-hmm. But Jake's initial defense to it is, you want me to kill this guy? Want to do it yourself? Which to me sounds like mm-hmm. the last thing you mm-hmm. were saying. It's like, is he going to be a cold-blooded assassin or like an executioner, basically? Yeah. Like, we're going to off you, not in a battle situation. So I think this is a, 
going back to the Visser 3 thing, and even going back to what happened with Eric in Book 10, there's this idea that, like, being a killer mm. is, like, an inherently bad thing. As a, which is different than being a warrior and it's like fighting a, someone who's fighting right. you. Right, and it's like, mm-hmm. a, it's like a moral... There's some kind of moral threshold that you cross and you can't go back, mm. right? And it's like the Penalites were so peaceful and that made yeah. them the purest and most highly evolved people, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like they could have held a trial. It mm-hmm. would have been basically a show trial, right? But they could have done something yeah. to, as, a, as a jury of six to yeah. basically decide that this, this guy was guilty. this is someone who's totally outside right. the reach of the law. It's not like they can turn him over to justice. Like, right. Who would that right. be? But they don't think about it that way. And maybe Jake's already, because of his like leadership complex, he's already like, I have to make this call and everyone's going to listen to me and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. So then mm-hmm. that is kind of bad if you're the one person, if there's no like system of justice, that yeah. is kind of like a, a bad thing to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't really see the ability for them to say, like, make that trade-off. None so, of them are willing to be selfish enough to say, okay, I'll, I'll kill him. It's interesting that, like, there's this thing where you aren't supposed to kill people in cold blood. We've seen over and over them choosing not to do that. It was clear in the Andalite Chronicles, like, it was would have been wrong for Elfingor to kill the Yerks on that transport ship, which is a little bit of a different case, but still... And yet there is this thing where you're morally obligated to be a warrior if you have the opportunity in a war like this. So, like, killing in cold blood is bad. Killing in a fight is, like, required. Morally required. And this is just occurring to me now. It's really interesting that Axe and Rachel are taken out of this decision-making process. Right? Because it would be totally different if you had either Rachel, who's, like, the most savage and, like, action-oriented, or Axe, who's the most, like, anti-Yerk there to kind of tip the scales mm-hmm. one way or the other, or at least kind of, like, yeah. back Cassie up in maybe, like, a different way. I don't think Axe would have. I think Axe would be like, well, this guy's killing Yerks. Oh, he's killing humans, too. That's bad, but he wouldn't feel it as viscerally as the other humans do. I think he would be more like, this guy's an abomination. He's, yeah. a, he's like an evil alien cannibal, like... Yeah, but he's cannibalizing Yerks. Axe hates Yerks. Yeah, but he's also a Yerk. Yeah, that's true. But I, I was wondering if one little piece of why they're reluctant to kill him is that he's placed themselves a little, he's placed himself a little bit on their side. Like he is opposed to Visser Three. He is killing all these Yerks. He's doing it in this horrendous way that also destroys a hundred people a year. But I wonder if they're like, oh no, he, like there's the, a little bit of sort of unspoken kinship that's created, just you know, enemy of my enemy type thing. That makes oh, them oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's I think that's Marco and Jake's instinct. Yeah, is that he's the enemy mm-hmm. of my enemy. Yeah, right. I, they don't seem to really care about the human cost. Right. Mm-hmm. I could. This is also not in the text, but it could also be like they didn't think about it the way that Cassie is like. How are you getting the Yerks out? It right. feels to me like Jake hadn't, it hadn't occurred to him oh, no, until it Cassie said hadn't. it. No. And then mm-hmm. he's almost like being defensive, right? Because he feels called out for being so ruthless, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then he's like rationalizing it. Because it, it, really it isn't point. like he sat down and like mathed yeah. it out. He's like, all right, you know, I, I do feel like it's not like it's, you know, it's the trolley problem. And he says, oh, I'm going to pull this lever and <laughs> save the one guy and kill a hundred people, right? They're right. all laid out on the track in front of me. It's like, he's kind of like, oh, I made this call. And then Cassie's like, you made the wrong call, you know. That's interesting that, like, if he felt like he had already sort of committed to a moral position before he had realized that this guy was also killing humans, then he felt obligated to defend it, even though maybe if he hadn't 
made it yet and he was assessing the whole thing, he would have made a different one. And that's his, it's, I think that plays into his leadership. Oh, that's so interesting. Like mindset too, that he has to make the tough calls. And And once he's made the call, he really shouldn't question it because if he starts questioning his calls, he'll never do anything. And you know, they don't, a leader doesn't need to sit around taking his pulse all the time. I think is what he says at one point in this book, you know, yeah, he talks about how he has to be, he, right. He can't be weak. We should get into it later, but his whole, this is what leader means to me. But I think that might play into this. That's a really good point. All right. So after, after Jake's like, you want to do it yourself, Cassie kind of backed down. It's like, well, the tiger would do it, would kill the guy better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Jake's compromise uh, which he feels is a little bit weak, even as he's doing it, is to say to Joe Bob, as long as we're in this house, we won't hurt you. But if we ever catch up with you outside, then th- no th- that protection won't exist. No yeah. promises. You know, it's Jake, I think, says it's a little threat to make himself feel better. Yeah. And then as they're leaving, Rachel was put into biostasis while in bird morph. And so she's demorphing. And so like, as mm-hmm. soon as she demorphs, they've escaped the compound. And she's like, so was the guy a controller or not? Was he a good guy or a bad guy? And then Jake and Cassie make eye contact and look away. And Jake says, Rachel, I don't even know which I am anymore. Yeah. I was wondering, I I feel like maybe one of the reasons that they're so hesitant to kill him, and one of the reasons that Cassie is so hesitant to do it, is self-protectiveness. Like, they know that they're sliding down, maybe not a moral slope, but at least like a slope of being comfortable with violence and death. And they can't go down it too fast because they're, you know, it's, it could be scary what they will become. And they need to protect themselves in some way to keep fighting this war. Like they need to keep themselves as whole as possible. And so maybe the killing in cold bloodline would like be like crossing it would maybe be not morally damaging, but just like very psychologically damaging in a way that like they can't handle. Right. And so it's easier letting him get away isn't as bad. It's almost going back to what you're saying. They didn't have to do any of this. Yeah. So if they yeah. just step back, it's status quo. It's not like they're they've created a circumstance where a hundred people a year are going to die. They haven't created this monster, but they're letting him continue. And that's and I think that's where Cassie's coming from because her whole thing is like once you like once you know about it, once you know the Gump is out there, you owe you owe him mm-hmm. the save. You have to get out trying to help. Yeah, but if they can't, yeah, if they can't handle killing him, I they're kind of they're kind of wimping out on it. Like there's so many things that they can't wimp out on, and like this thing that they they choose to. And it's interesting that Cassie does after she had initially like run forward to attack, like she was able to do that sort of in the momentum of her like horror and fear, and she couldn't keep it up. Like she couldn't make that mm-hmm. choice. And that's so interesting that. Jake and Cassie have such opposite reactions because Jake's instinct is, oh, we'll let him go. Mm-hmm. And Cassie's instinct is, I'm going to kill you. Uh-huh. Right. Which mm-hmm. is actually sort of the opposite of what you'd expect from their characters. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that that's where they end up. And I think you're right, Ted, that having Rachel or Axe there would have made a real difference. It's interesting that Marco doesn't weigh in. Well, Marco is the one who's, does he not weigh in at all? I feel like Marco is more like, well, he's doing some of our work for us. We can't save all the people. Um, he doesn't weigh in after they find out that they're getting them from people. people. Oh, interesting. That is right. actually a little weird. Yeah, so he, he says it's after, so they're, I'm fine the Yerks, one every three days, ten a month. Marco whispers, cool by me. Give the man a pat on the back and let's get X and Rachel out of here. Hilarious. Good point. Mm-hmm. And then Cassie says, how are you getting the Yerks? She tries to attack him, and Marco doesn't say anything. Huh. 
for the rest of the scene until he does. I don't even think he right. says anything. Well, yeah, and the whole the whole rest of the book is is about the Jake Cassie thing, right? Yeah. So it kind of makes sense yeah. to not get him involved. But I mean, you could. It sort is of... weird that he didn't put himself forward, and that Tobias didn't have anything to say about it. Yeah. Right. It is weird, but yeah. like then to me that almost makes Jake look worse, right? Because like <laughs> if people are just stepping back, that could just as easily be a sign of discomfort rather than like it's they could all be on Cassie's side just as easily as they're all on Jake's side. Yeah, but they right? didn't say anything. I mean, they probably were like, okay, we can see which way the wind is blowing. If we just don't say anything, it'll go the way we maybe reluctantly want, but the way we want. Like mm-hmm. I feel like if they had felt if they'd been on Cassie's side, they would have spoken up. Maybe, but if you see if you see Jake kind of tackle her, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the second one to. Are they? Up, are we right? saying that they're afraid of Jake? Well, like, that's kind of a strong. We I don't, don't get know. anything about their reactions for yeah. the rest of the book, right? I feel like it's more a narrative choice, honestly. Like just focusing on the relationship. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's definitely that. Yeah. It's definitely that. It's, so it's tough. There are always limitations to like how many characters you can bring into a conversation and. It would have weakened their debate, yeah. Yeah, and this is about Jake, and so it makes sense that his real concern is sort of is Cassie and their relationship and kind of how they're playing off one another. So that makes sense to me, actually, mm-hmm. narratively, but also from a sort yeah. of relationship perspective that he's not going to worry quite as much about what Marco or Tobias thinks of him. Okay, what if Marco and Tobias were having a secret conversation in Thought Speak the whole time where they were debating whether they should speak up and they had an intense debate where they came down on the side of not taking action. I like it. That's my headcanon for this. That's good. I'm in. Um, So following up with Cassie and Jake, so the next thing is, you mentioned this earlier, Jenny, but after Cassie becomes a talking wolf and goes and talks to this elementary school kid and is like, hey, maybe don't tell your dad dad, that you know about Yerkes and stuff. Cassie's full of self-loathing and she's like, it's so terrible for me to turn this kid against his dad. And Jake reacts, well, it was the best you could do. I guess it's hard to fight evil without doing some along the way. Yeah. And then he, he thinks, maybe there was a little, I told you so in my voice. Cassie walked away. I let her go. Not everything can be settled. Not everything can be smoothed over. That's rough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, it's making the uh, how animorphs deal with moral quandaries into the text, right? It's sort of the subtext of the previous scenes where they have to move on. Yeah. And here Jake is calling it out. Like, <laughs> I am not going to resolve this question. Mm-hmm. Not everything can be resolved. But also that not every argument, not every disagreement, like, can be gotten over. The relationship can't be healed. And we're starting to see sort of this permanent damage build up in them. He has this great line about fear that's, like, very similar. Uh, You never really get past the fear. Fear eats a little hole in you, like rust in the fender of a car. You fill the hole up with putty and sand it smooth and paint it over so no one else can see it, but it's never really as good as new. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's really representative of like where all of the animorphs are at this point in the series that they're like really starting to feel the like little holes in themselves and their relationships you know and they're starting to realize they can't can't get over everything although as a kind of slight counterpoint he (laughs) says not everything can be smoothed over and there's a week that at least a week goes by and he and cassie really don't talk Mm -hmm. um and then after a week he shows up to the barn and they don't talk, but they just start working with the animals again. And then after a while, Cassie and I started talking and even laughing. The others came over and they just hang out. They, they shovel manure and they tease and Axe tries to eat a cow pie. And, uh, and it ends with, and we were us again for now. 
Yeah. And to some extent, yeah. That's so dark. But I think to some extent they do. It's sort of that being together and having each other's backs is what allows them to smooth over those conflicts. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. It's not going to be always true. But Mm -hmm. they are able to come together Mm -hmm. despite this conflict. So that gave me a little bit of of hope. Yeah, yeah. Also a little bit of joy because it's I love this like little found family. And I know they like, came together that. and they're shoveling hay and I thought that was very sweet. The for now is is dark in two different ways. It's for now because in a couple days we'll have to do another mission and we'll be plunged back into this darkness and and also for now because maybe we won't be able to be ourselves forever. Yeah. These books are so freaking great. Like there are these two different arcs that Jake goes through in this book that overlap in really interesting ways. There's the one where he relies on Cassie for moral guidance and like Mm -hmm. sort of their alignment on that where they end up diverging at the end. And there's the one where he's like, I'm still me. I can still go back to be a normal guy. Like Mm -hmm. we saw Marco comment on this and, um, and then he sort of arrives at like, not everything can be smoothed over. And it's just, it's really good. Mm -hmm. It is. It's great. Yeah. So we saw Marco talk about this in the previous book. He and Jake rode the roller coaster as birds, and Mark was like, I'm still the same. Nothing's going to change me. I'm just the same guy I always was. And Jake's like, sure, buddy. And (laughs) you can tell Jake isn't really convinced by it. And in this book, I don't know if it's like the protagonist effect or if they're just in really different places than they were, but it's sort of swapped where Jake's like, I just want to go back to a life where I don't have to make decisions that would make get people killed. And Marco's like... Really? You think you can do that? Like, you think after being the leader of the Anawaras, you can go back to being Joe Average student? Yes, I do, I said forcefully. I meant it. Uh-huh, Marco said dryly. Like, that's such a switch. Mm-hmm. And Jake is sort of maintaining this, like, yes, if I had a choice, I'd go back to a normal life. And then he sort of goes through this whole, like, was it really was it really me who was going to say this terrible thing? Like, fear is eating holes in us. We can't go, we can't, like, fail and hard to fight evil without doing some along the way. And yeah, I feel like I don't know where he was in the last book where he was doubting Marco, but like, I also think it's easier to help other people than it is to help yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are certain things that, I mean, it's the protagonist effect. Like A you little were bit, saying, yeah. right. But there are certain things that are different about their situations. Yeah. Uh, also, Jake thinks that Marco can afford to look weak because he's just one member of the team, but Jake can't look weak because mm-hmm. he's, leader oh yeah well that's Um, a whole thing yeah yeah i think the leadership effect is actually really interesting the way that applegate deals with it in this book because jake is very much struggling with what it means to be a leader Mm -hmm. and in a number of different ways so one of them is not being able to show fear Mm -hmm. um jenny as you were just mentioning that whole passage is a whole thing about if I give in to fear, it gives everyone permission to give in to fear. And the difference between him and everyone else is the difference is you all decided I was the leader. That's yeah. the difference. A leader may be just as weak or scared or doubtful as anyone else, but he isn't allowed to show it. People say they want leaders to be just like them, but I don't think so. People want leaders to act the way people wish they could act themselves. Marco and Rachel and Tobias and Axe don't want me to give them permission to be scared. They want me to help them be brave. And that's yeah. really fascinating. He also says there's something else a leader, should, a leader doesn't do, complain about being a leader. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's such a good point. And it's also, it goes back into what sort of Marco said about after being the leader, like you can't really go back to being 
just an average Joe, and people call him fearless leader all the time, and it's kind of joking, but it's also... That's rough. He's taking all of those comments, no matter how lighthearted, very seriously, that he's not allowed to show fear or emotion or even hesitation. And I think it's a really... It's not a great view of leadership to some extent. I mean, it's it's a very stereotypical Mm -hmm. it's really bad but it's like we were talking about in his last book when they're going to the jungle where again he sort of had this thought that I have to make these decisions and I can't show that I'm not sure that I'm having these weird hallucinations that something's Mm -hmm. wrong and if he had maybe they would have been able to come to a different consensus and I think that there's just there's just something about the way that Jake feels about being a leader that I find really sad Yeah. yeah And the book doesn't end with him giving some rousing speech <laughs> that makes people feel brave, right? He actually, he, what he says to Cassie is, oh, what, you want me to kill him? Why? How about, how about you kill him if you're so tough? Yeah. That's like not at all his <laughs> leadership philosophy, right? Yeah. That's like really passive aggressive and cruel and manipulative. Right? He's mm-hmm. not like, he's not saying, Cassie, we have to do this because blah, 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 mm-hmm. high and mighty values or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I also want to call out after that bit you were just reading, Cassie's response is like, maybe you're right, but even great generals and presidents have friends they can be honest with and people who would never lose faith in them no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it's so tragic that at the end, she's like, if you try and justify this to me, I will not. I will lose respect for you, right? So even though she wants to be his, like, steadfast lieutenant, she she can't do it. She doesn't want Jake to cross that line. Yeah, or she doesn't want... It's funny, I I read that as a... um... So, so what she says is, don't say it. If you say that, I won't be able to deal with you anymore. So don't say it. He says, I felt like she punched me in my own real face. Which, what other face is she going to punch him in? The tiger face, which can take a lot of pain. (laughs) Fair enough. So ridiculous. Anyway, so she's he feels like she she punches him when she says that. I won't be able to deal with you anymore. And I was like, oh, I've had that reaction in the middle of a fight. You're like, mm. nope. That next thing you're going to say is going to push this over the edge. And I don't want to do it right now. So we're going to pause. We're going to take a time out. And we're going to talk about this later. Mm-hmm. And I felt very, because I think in part I was so on her side in this particular moment. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. Just everybody stop. Do what you're going to do. You've made the decision. You're going to do it. That's fine. Finish it up. And we'll talk about this later. <laughs> you know, so I kind of got that from her. But yeah. I think you're right. It makes you're, You make a good point that it's also, it is a little bit of her not having faith in him. Right. Which, and, yeah. and to be fair, he also doesn't, in that first confrontation they have about leadership and fear and stuff, he sort of says like, I wanted to cry, I wanted to hug Cassie, but I didn't do either, mm-hmm. right? So he's also putting up, if he were willing to be a little more vulnerable, she might be more willing to support him. Yeah. Well, and he also does the thing that he's afraid of, right, without making any modifications. He doesn't want to turn back into a fly again. She gives him an opportunity to change plans, and he says, nope, we're doing it. And I think maybe she's he's putting himself so firmly into that role of mm-hmm. no fear, no vulnerability, no conversations about this that... Yeah. I think it's what screws him over in the end, like with that decision, like, because on the one hand, I can totally see where he's coming from. Like I was saying in 15, like these kids have to do these really dangerous things. And if they start being like, no, I'm afraid they could just do that every minute and they would never do anything. 
But yeah, the way that he's closing himself off to like second guessing himself and not showing vulnerability. I think like you were saying, Ted, that like that's part of what plays into his decision at the end that like he had already he'd already kind of made a decision and then he felt defensive of it. And like that is probably part of why he wasn't able to like reassess and make a better decision. I don't know if that was the only factor. I think it was a bad decision, maybe for a bunch of reasons. Yeah. But Right. And he does he owns up to it a little bit at the end, right? So he mm-hmm. he says, like, I make mistakes and I fail, sometimes I'm stupid, but sometimes there's no right answer. What can you do but keep trying? Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, he doesn't kind of go back through line by line and say, Well, I should have done this, and I should have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does leave us with a final detail about how um, Joe Bob's mansion burns down. <laughs> and so he says, did the mansion burn down on its own? Or did someone start the fire that deprived that evil creature of sanctuary? If someone set the fire, there was a long list of suspects. Mr. Three, Cassie, one of the others, me. I guess you'll never know. <laughs> so, Ted, what do you think? It's Jake. Jake obviously did it. What do you think, Ray? I mean, Jake did it, but also... We didn't start the fire. <laughs> so you think Joe Bob Finestre's house was always burning? Yeah, I think it's just okay. It's just been burning. You think they would have yeah, mentioned this that whole while time. they were on the mission? There was a lot they, going yeah, on. Yeah, it's yeah, like how they don't describe inside the spaceships. And it's a really big mansion, so yeah. the fire might have been on the other side at that point. Okay. So we no, think... So what does it mean if... Uh, Jenny, do you disagree? No, I mean, reading it now, I'm like, yeah, he probably started that fire. But I feel like when I read it as a kid, like, I definitely engaged with that. And I'm still, like, unwilling to give it up because the book doesn't actually say. And, <laughs> like, that, like, okay, it could have been anyone. Maybe it was an accidental fire. Like, and I think I, I still feel the remnants of that, like, unwillingness to leap to that conclusion that the text, like, I interpreted the text as not giving us the conclusion. And I look at it now and I'm like... Jake started that fire. Yeah, Jake well, definitely started that fire. But I think it's so interesting, because that's how I read it, is that he is willing to take action to make up for what he, in retrospect, thinks was a bad call, mm-hmm. but he's not even willing to admit the mistake to us, right? Because mm-hmm. he could say, he could say, I realized that this compromise was bad, and even though it meant going back on my word or yeah. acting against the spirit of the deal that I struck with this huge monster. <laughs> and by the way, Cassie was totally right that we should have killed him. Yeah. I burned his house down. Like, it wasn't... I wish I'd made better decisions earlier, but this was the least I could do. Right. He doesn't say that. He says, like, well, you know, sometimes these things happen. You know, like, <laughs> oh, what can you do? Sometimes houses right. catch yeah. on fire. He's um, sort of hiding it from himself. Like, he's not willing exactly. to do the emotional work, even exactly. while he's like, that was a bad decision. Quick, do something to fix it. Exactly. And saying sort of the, like, what else can you do? We'll just kind of, like, try and go back to being friends. It's, again, kind of like, oh, well, compartmentalize, process later. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the war will be over before uh, we completely break down. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, so we've seen both Jake and Marco have enormous problems with vulnerability in mm-hmm. the last two books. And it's they're stemming from like different sources. Like Jake's is very tied up with his leadership thing, and Marco's is very tied up in his like sort of jokester persona. They're both like connected to their role in the group. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I have we seen that from the girls? Rachel. Rachel? Yeah, Rachel also yeah. has a thing about not being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, in Seven, it wasn't tied to the war, but it was it, it, it was tied to the being a warrior piece of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't tied to, like, she's actually pretty happy being an Animorph right now, but Seven, mm-hmm. her conflict was, 
I could leave all this behind me, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when she didn't want to be vulnerable with the group. Like, hey, maybe I don't want to fight. But right. since yeah. that moment when she's like, I'm going to save the world, she seemed pretty committed. And a lot of her conflict about her role as the warrior, everyone thinks I'm so gung-ho and that I'm just going to want to dive in. And maybe that's not always true. Like, that's all internal, right? Mm-hmm. She's never, she never opens up about that to Jake or Cassie or anything. Yeah, yeah. and how Yeah, we really haven't seen it in books and books now. Jake describes her in this book as being, it's like, it was her destiny mm-hmm. to yes. be a warrior, right? And it's like, Jake's kind of like, mm-hmm. I wish I could go back, but she doesn't think that Rachel would want to. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. seems to be the consensus opinion of her. Right. And I think that's also tied to a lack of openness. I wouldn't, yeah. you know. I'm excited to see her in the next book because the last book of hers was so fluffy and wonderful, but like really didn't give us a lot about her mm-hmm. psychology or her thoughts in the war. And yeah, I'm excited if we if we'll see if we see any more of that. Yeah. So there's one other element to the Jake thing that doesn't take as prominent a role in this book, but it comes up in one scene, which is how he feels about Tom mm-hmm. and his relationship with Tom in the war. Cause he yeah. had like that tiger dream where he's like, Oh, you know, I'm hunting my brother through the woods, but then it turns out I'm hunting myself. And it's like, he sort of, he's psyching himself up. Cause he's like, well, eventually maybe I'm going to have to kill my own brother. And like, could I actually go through with that? And would I lose myself in the process? Right. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just want to read this whole dinner scene. Yeah. Because it's, great. Go for it. it's so good. So this is, this is between their two capers, right? Mm-hmm. He's, they he's supposed to be doing to research about America. Joe Bob, yeah. right, mm-hmm. for their Sunday mission. But instead, he has this evening with his family. And so it's centered around family dinner. And they're having dessert, right? So I sat there afterward, stuffed with fish and rice and snap peas, and still stuffing my face with something called tiramisu, which is an Italian dessert <laughs> soaked in some kind of liqueur. Thanks. You yeah, didn't know that. Middle grade. (laughs) I wanted to believe it was all real because, you know, that was the whole point of fighting. The whole point of taking risks and fighting the Yurks was to protect boring, average, no big deal times like this. I flashed back on being smeared across the ceiling of the plane. And I flashed on the time we'd almost been able to save Tom down in the hell of a Yurk pool. It made me mad. Mostly what people want is to be left alone. They just want to sit down and have a nice dinner and tell boring stories and tell jokes they've told a dozen times before. But I guess there is always someone out there who thinks life, just plain old boring, sweet, everyday life, isn't enough. And that's when the killing starts. In this war, it was the Yerks, but there had been an awful lot of wars when it was just human against human. What is the matter with people? That they don't know that all that really counts is that people who love each other be able to be together, live in peace, learn, work, tell boring stories and dumb jokes? What do they think they're going to get that's better than that? You're awfully quiet, Jake, my mother said, thinking deep thoughts. I smiled. I was thinking this was cool. We should all have dinner together more often. I looked at Tom. It was nice. I hope nothing ever happens to us. I hope we'll always be together. The yerk inside Tom's head searched Tom's memory. The yerk opened his memory and read it like a book. He played the strings of Tom's brain like a violinist, squeezing perfect notes out of a violin. The yerk found the answer that Tom would have made. It aimed Tom's eyes and made Tom's face smile sardonically. It opened Tom's mouth and made Tom say the words Tom would have said if he'd been able. Hey, Mom, no more tiramisu for Jake. The liqueur is making him mushy. I laughed the way I should, and I thought to myself, the day will come, Yurk, when I will tear you out of his head and destroy you for what you've done to my family. Whew. Yeah, there's a lot there. I, don't, I mean, I don't. I feel like most of that doesn't even need any commentary. Like, that's just... Uh... Except that mostly what people want <laughs> is to be left alone is 100% accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it's also, it's like a very mature thought for a 13-year-old to have, mm-hmm. and it's 
sad that the war has forced them into that. Yeah. The bit about the yerk playing the strings of Tom's brain Mm -hmm. is so evocative and just, it's it's a perfect description and horrible. Mm -hmm. It's viscerally awful, but it's something else. And it's, it's, yeah, it's the it's such a reminder of not just the toll that the the mission is having, but that his normal life is having. Yeah, him, he's right? finally getting this great normal dinner with his family, and he's getting a lot that is positive out of it. And he's also thinking, he's like looking at his brother and thinking, "I will destroy this, you know, creature who is talking to me." Right. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> awful. Yeah. It just lays out the stakes of the whole conflict for him in a really stark way that he wants he wants to keep this he needs to have a hope of being able to return to this right so mm. and it's kind of interesting that he cold-blooded killing is kind of like a moral line for him in terms he is something that he doesn't he's not comfortable doing yet <laughs> but he still has this this like uh, this rage and this thirst for um, revenge in this moment right yeah. so he's he's conflicted it also does a great job of laying out, I mean, the stakes of the war in general. Mm-hmm. I think it's just really a great illustration of why they're fighting. Uh, can I read out the other bit with his mother? Mm, yes. Yeah. So this is at the end after they've gone through all of this. And uh, he's, you know, Jake is obviously really upset about everything. Um, he's not really talking to people. And um, he, he eventually, he's out in the backyard sitting on a swing set staring at the stars he says, the stars came out, and man, I hated them. They weren't beautiful. They were deadly. It was from the stars all my problems had come. And his mom comes out to check on him. And she's like, which, again, she says to him, what are you doing? Are you thinking great thoughts? Which is what she said <laughs> earlier. And um, she's basically trying to get him to talk to her. And and he says, no, nope, it's nothing. She's like, well, you've turned into a real teenager. Mom's too out of it to talk to. And then she says, in a lot of ways, being a kid is worse than being an adult. You have the same things to deal with. Friends, temptations, love and hate and all that. Only you don't have the two great weapons that adults have to help them. What two great weapons? Well, the first is experience. Experience maybe doesn't make you smarter, but it makes you means you can think, hey, I had something like this happen once before, and I survived. Okay, I'll ask, what's the second great weapon? She looked right at me. You are, Jake. Because as your mom, I can look at you and think, oh ma'am, as bad as I feel right now, as bad as things may be, at least it isn't bad as being a teenager. Yeah. I remember this part so well, and it's something I've thought of a lot over mm-hmm. the years. And I'm just going to read like the paragraph she has before that, just because it's really part of what I remember, which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I was your age and feeling upset, my mother, your gram, would always just say, you don't know what unhappy is. You're just a kid. Like anything a kid would feel would be less difficult or painful than what an adult would feel. That's probably true, I said, not really listening. No, it isn't, my mother said firmly. And then it's the part that you read. And I feel like that is such a hopeful message for anyone going through anything at any stage in life Mm -hmm. that like the older you get, the better you'll be able to deal with this stuff. And like, I remember at one point, should I tell a random anecdote about my dad? Is that? We can always cut it. Yeah, we can always cut it. My dad liked to tell the story of how once when he was in college, someone was like, you better enjoy this. These are the best years of your life. And he was like kind of depressed by that. He's like, oh, I don't like these years that much. And then years later when he like had a family and like was really happy, he's like, oh, no, that was just wrong. Like these are the best years of my life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is the same kind of thing of like 
when I was a kid, it was great to hear like, oh, I'll be better at dealing stuff with stuff when I'm older. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, it's so true. Mm-hmm. It was harder to deal with stuff when I was a teenager. And it's important to remember that because it's easy to belittle the problems of kids. Yeah. And I, it's such a great point. I mean, this is one of those passages that I think had I read as a kid, it really also would have stuck with me that mm-hmm. everything feels so dramatic when you're this age. You're the only yeah. person who's gone through this and it's really hard and it is hard. Um, and it's kind of nice to have the affirmation of that, that being mm-hmm. a kid is really difficult. You have all these problems. You've never had them before. You've no experience with them. You don't know what they are even. Like sometimes you don't have a name for them. Obviously, what Jake's going through, what the animals are going through is worse than what I went through. But, you know, we all had that thing when you're growing up. And you're like, what is this even? I don't have mm-hmm. a word for this. Mm-hmm. I, don't have a, I don't have a way to deal with it. And then having that experience being like, yeah, actually, this is fine. I really love that as a, an, as an approach to, to problems. Yeah. The really tragic thing about this is that even though everything Jake's mom says is correct, it isn't really, it doesn't really have much to do with like what Jake's actual problems are because there is no age he could be at where this would be easy. And it is doing so much damage to him now that who even knows if he'll be okay when he's an adult. Right. And it's, oh, the experience of having been in battle and killed people before is preparing him for the war to come, (laughs) right? Like, it's tough. You know, and we've seen, like, in the Endlight Chronicles, we saw Alrin as this, like, totally broken person because of grappling with the this, this horrible decision he made that didn't mm-hmm. work and, mm-hmm. you know, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Like, all of that stuff. Yeah, like, it, haunts, it haunts people, right? Right. Most kinds of experience make you stronger and, you know, better able to deal with stuff. Some, kind of exper- some kinds of experience just damage you, and that's a lot of what's happening. Like, to Jake and the other Animorphs, like, we see the fly thing really damaged him and like hey i had something like this happen once before and i survived yeah but just barely right he can't really look back and be like oh that was okay because it wasn't okay the fly thing is it's one of the worst (sighs) near-death experiences that's been one of these books i think let us talk about that because to me like the book was pretty light and fluffy with all of the like 90s internet stuff until Jake sort of out of nowhere gets swatted on the plane. Yeah, and that, then that's like, where it turns. And then it's yeah. like a second by second he's dying and they need to quickly get him into the airplane bathroom so he can demorph. So he's literally dying. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, well, you can't demorph. There are people. Like, no one even says like, well, you know, just demorph. Like, who cares? Like, Cassie does. Oh, does she? <laughs> yeah, good. Marco's like, you can't. And Cassie's like, just demorph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And he, the hand, he gets swatted, and the reason he's not dead is because he's in the lifeline of somebody's hand, right? Is like, just enough space. Mm -hmm. His his body is torn in half. They leave half of his body, and he's able to somehow... They should scoop up the guts. Right. But, like, and somehow he's able to demorph just from, like, the the half that they happen to take. Like, I I don't know. He's, like, barely alive. Yeah. Yeah. It's really awful. He describes it as, "I, I had not died, but I was shattered. Yeah. And then goes through all the ways that he shattered. My left wing was gone, ripped away. My right wing barely moved. I was blind in my right eye. Four of my legs were broken, but by far the worst was that my body, my green-black body, had burst open. Usually when we read things like that, it's like a disgusting morph, and they're totally fine and don't feel any pain. Right. And this is not at all that. And he totally dissociates. Like, Mm -hmm. he's sort of following the conversation for our sake, so we know that the other Animorphs are trying to rescue him, but he's just kind of off in his own head. At one point, Cassie says something, and he thinks, good old Cassie. She was so pretty. <laughs> yeah. The um, the I, I was alive, but I was shattered 
is really interesting alongside what we were just reading, where his mom's like, you know, you can think, hey, I had something like this happen once before, and I survived. Yeah, he survived, but he was shattered. Mm-hmm. They put the pieces back together, but what got so left behind? I wanted to talk about Marco being ready to let Jake die for the mission, right? So Oof, he's saying, yeah. he's saying there are probably controllers on this plane. If Jake demorphs, they'll know we're not Andalites. The game is over, right? So it's a little unclear that those are the stakes. Like I think actually probably odds are. I don't know. I'd be I'd be willing to argue with Marco that like, hey, maybe they can get out of this some other way, even if yeah. people see this miraculous and weird thing happen. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if the choice is between letting Jake die for the sake of the cause, mm-hmm. is that like what's the right thing to do? Well, probably mm-hmm. in Marco's mind, it's the choice between like if there are controllers on the plane, letting Jake die or having Jake be made a controller, and Marco knows like Marco's probably thought a lot about which would be the better outcome. Right. He has already been With made a controller. To people he loves, they have fixed it the first time. <laughs> they can fix it again. Yeah, but if he gets taken by the Yerks and they know who and what he is, it's going to be pretty different. I really love Cassie in this scene. You know, Cassie and Jake's relationship, for all of its issues, they are deeply devoted to one another in the way that thirteen-year-olds can be. Mm-hmm. So he he has that that bit that Ted read off about good old Cassie. She was so pretty, and then later on, as he's Still dissociating. Which Cassie does He's not like, think she's pretty, but she is. He knows that she is. Cassie, oh yeah, her. I liked her. <laughs> but there's this as they're as they're going, it's not quite clear who the dialogue who's speaking mm-hmm. which line of the dialogue, but you can tell which lines are Cassie because I think the words that she says are yeah. Oh poor Jake, a voice cried desperately. Jake, hold on, hold on, we'll save you. Don't you let him go. Don't let go don't let him go. Mm-hmm. And then they get him back to the bathroom, and she's like very calmly and firmly saying, "Jake, this is Cassie. Listen to me. You have to demorph. You have to do it now." And and everyone's kind of yelling at him, but she's just got this absolute mm-hmm. focus. Don't you let him go? And now, yeah. Jake, here's what you have to do. And I just love that. I think she'd be like so good in an emergency, and she's clearly just this is her person, and she's gonna fix it. I love yeah. Her. And then after they get through this and they're they're at their destination, he's like shaking because mm-hmm. he's in he's in shock, mm-hmm. and she's like comforting him. She hugs him until he calms down a little bit, right? She's telling him it's okay to be scared. Mm-hmm. He kind of shrugs it off with like, "No big deal. I'm fine. I'm fine." But uh, mm-hmm. it's really sweet. And then when he's when they're trying to get back on the plane, they have to do the same thing in reverse, and he is having a panic attack. He's mm-hmm. he's sweating and panicking and shaking. And Cassie's the only one who notices. And she's very calmly like, maybe we should try a different morph. Um, and trying to give him a way out. And so he's like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And Cassie goes, hey, Jake, come buy me a pretzel. I'm hungry. You guys go ahead. And then she drags him off to the she's side. like, that's smooth. I don't have any money. And has this conversation with him about, like, it's okay to be afraid. And that's where he goes into this whole thing about, I can't be yeah. afraid. I'm the leader, whatever. But... It's a really... She's really looking out for him. She's good. Incidentally, just in that scene, that's where they mention the thing that I referenced like 10 books ago where 
apparently they all think that Marco is like the one who really has a problem with being an aunt. Yes. Which I, I yeah, I am not sure where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't talk ever talk about morphing termites because of my problems with them, she says. Which I see, I think we saw more of Cassie's oh, yeah. issues no, with no, termites. Cassie mm-hmm. definitely was the one Marco. who made it the termites. Yeah. But Marco's with ants, you're right. We don't morph ants anymore because they scared all of us, but mostly Marco. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Was he just taking the fall or, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just one other sort of Jake Cassie thing. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point... Jake says, I'm not good at understanding subtle human behavior. <laughs> I kind of rely on Cassie for that. Yeah. Which is great. There's also, so they decide not to morph the other humans, which we should talk about. And at the end of that, you know, Jake makes the decision. And Cassie looked at me like she was proud of me, which just made me want to blush. Which is sort of the earlier on in their arc where, like, he's using her as a moral compass. Mm-hmm. He's using her to understand subtle human behavior. Mm-hmm. And, uh... And that makes it just, like, much more devastating when he can't live up to that. So, yeah, let's jump back to his other game-time moral quandary that you just mm-hmm. referenced. So there, his first suggestion yeah. in the WAA building is, oh, there are all these lab techs with with um, access to the server room. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just morph one of them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then some people have a problem with that. Yeah. There was this discussion about, like, you know, humans aren't, you know, Rachel says we like to think of ourselves as more than animals. And Axe is like, why? She shrugged. I don't know. We just do. Or at least the best animals around. The best? Axe echoed. How would you define best? Like, that's interesting coming from an Andalite, I will say. Like, <laughs> All right, fair. They have such a superiority complex. I feel like he's sort of standing in for, like, an outside perspective. Mm-hmm. But I find well, it odd. I think he's also like, just like, to me, humans are animals. That yeah. might also be. <laughs> like, if they were talking about Andalites, you'd be like, oh, well, Andalites are obviously not just normal animals. That's why Mr. Three is the abomination. Right. One Andalite gets taken over mm-hmm. and it's like the worst thing that's ever happened yeah. but like lots of humans you know they're just you know it's actually so this is something that we've talked about a couple times and they've addressed a couple of times about the idea of consent for mm-hmm. dna you know cassie struggled with this before with the dolphins yeah and to some extent kind of got over it eventually and and now it's fine with doing dolphins I feel like but... they're like 20 years ahead of their time with like dna privacy yeah no it's a really good point and she but she's just she's very good at cassie in particular is very good at saying this is something that that we should consider um i really liked uh so jake says that thing we acquired dna from some of the people who work here as soon as the words were out of my mouth, I thought, wow, there's something re- not really right about this. Cassie looked pained. Wow, there's something not really right about that. <laughs> A plus, you guys. Um, but this yeah. is the peak of their, like, being in sync morally. But she's, yeah, she's right. We consented. We gave permission. And then Marco says, how are we different from Yerkes if we do this? Can I just say I really appreciate how Marco is able to argue both sides of the thing. Like, that is something I really, like, admire and, like... It's in some ways identify with, like, you know, there are good points on both sides. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he's not, like, rooted to one stance. He's willing to, like, consider both. Yeah. Right. And so they have a little bit of a debate, and then everyone looks at Jake, and he thinks, oh, like, I'm supposed to quickly decide <laughs> a big moral issue in a hallway in two minutes? What am I supposed to do? We're in a war. What's the big deal about doing something that made us uncomfortable? Uh, and then he's, he says, okay, well, the whole reason we're fighting is to keep people free. If we start violating that using people's DNA without permission, we may not be as bad as the Yerks, but we're heading down that same path. We have to find another way. That's interesting, this sort of heading down a path thing in the context of his decision at the end. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because 
if he's concerned, like maybe one of the reasons that decision was so hard for him is he's concerned about where they're headed as like moral entities, like killing in cold blood, violating a promise, you know, versus like this person actually needs to die. Like both are really bad and there's no safe path he can bring his group on to like keep them sort of morally clean the way he can in this decision right here. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about morphing someone without permission? I, I, I'm with Cassie. Yeah. Don't do it. The consent thing, I think, is very... I mean, one of the points that Rachel makes is we're not taking over their minds. We're just using their DNA. So it's mm-hmm. not like we're turning into them with all their memories and all of that. It's just we're going to be that... We're going to look like that person. Mm-hmm. Fair. Right? It's not Yeah, but years. is the only concern that we'd be taking but, over their minds? Because it seems pretty clear they wouldn't be taking over their minds. But, right. like, still, I mean... I still think bodies are Well, now. I think I, I really buy the slippery slope argument because mm-hmm. it's like, okay... Just to get through a door. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Oh, but like now you have to make small talk with one of their coworkers. (laughs) Oh, now you have to answer the phone and it's it's their husband, it's their Mm -hmm. wife, it's their kids. You you know, it's like, oh, it's like, actually now I I can be, I can be Melissa Chapman and I can spy on her father. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and it it kind of like, it, it escalates more and more and more. Oh, I'll just be this totally fake person and have a, you know, mm-hmm. fake family with this controller and do this whole, you know, like, it, it's yeah. kind of like, it, it opens the door to a lot of stuff Yeah, um, that you could imagine the narrative demanding them mm-hmm, to have mm-hmm. to go to further and further places, yeah. right? So drawing a line in the sand keeps them from having to make yeah. well, further tough calls. The interesting calls. thing is that they've already done this. Um, Axe morphed Jake without his consent. And actually, I'm pretty sure Cassie morphed Rachel without her consent, but although with her, her knowledge. And I feel like it's one of those things that's like a minor evil. Like clearly they mm-hmm. could avoid it in this case. And so like, I, th- I don't think it should be like a hard line. I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> interesting because they, they have some pretty, well, I mean, they kill people sometimes. I feel like in this case, it's pretty low risk. And mm-hmm. I, I'm true. sort of on the side of, I'm sort of on the side of Jake where it's like, this is... The least risky for us, it's aren't, there aren't going to be that many bad consequences from it. We're never going to see these people again. Mm-hmm. And we, if we're good, we're, we never have to turn into this person once we're back in, mm-hmm. once we're back home. Mm-hmm. Right. But, is, but it, is it just the bad consequences you mentioned? Or is it like re, just like recreating someone's body and living in it is an invasion? I, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much. I think it is like, I think I'm, I am less severe on it than gray is yeah and i'm i would say yeah, yeah. i going back i mean we yeah. talked about morphing other people and sort of like it I, I do think that there's a the closer you are to someone the more of an invasion it seems like which like is funny because the examples we've already seen they've been very close to the people right but they, they sort of have the get their permission and that we could sort talk of, about the jake thing not more. Jake. we could talk about the jake thing more but yeah, that was a really severe need, though. Exactly. Yeah, I think the permission thing is important to me for some reason. One thing that I, is also interesting, just from a moral philosophy perspective, is I buy Ted's slippery slope argument in this case that mm-hmm. it's easy here, so someday it'll be very easy to like morph Tom and infiltrate the sharing or mm-hmm. something. And you know, where do you draw the line? I do not buy the slippery slope argument for killing a serial murderer at the mm-hmm. end. Which you could argue is that, you know, if we kill him in cold blood, then what's to stop us from killing Chapman in cold blood? He's leading the Yerks in this invasion. Or not leading, but, you know, he's, yeah. he's important to the Yerks in this invasion. We can kind of stop him. But, I don't know, for some reason in that case, I'm like, nope. <laughs> no slippery <laughs> I mean, slip I there. I agree with you. They should have killed the serial killer. I think it. I can see why the, like, 
psychological toll it would take on them would be a reason to pause. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I think morphing someone without their permission, not great. Sometimes they have to do a lot of things. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that'll be the lesser of a bunch of bad choices. Yeah. You're right that they're about 20 years ahead on DNA privacy. Do you know what they... Also on consent. (laughs) Yes, and on consent, very important. A thing that they apparently don't care about at all is actual privacy. (laughs) (laughs) Zero data data privacy, you mean? The the first part of this story is these kids being like, we are on an internet chat room. Mm -hmm. Do you know what would be great is if we knew who these people were and where they lived? I know. We're going to break into this computer company and find their names and where they live, and more information about them. This is wow. a great idea. That doesn't idea. bother me at all. Should I be worried about that? Yes. Yes, <laughs> you should you be Marco very tried to stalk worried a girl on the internet? <laughs> yes. And thankfully, he was just being catfished himself. Yes, that was good. But yeah. still a really creepy thing, too. This well. whole thing, I was so appalled, appalled by this decision-making. I mean, just... I can't What's... believe you thought this was... A... You broke into a server and stole these people's private information. What? Okay, but they're trying to track down controllers where the Yerks broke into people's minds and stole their private lives. There are thousands of controllers out there. You know how else you could find controllers? Go find that entrance to the Condrona pool that mm-hmm. that Tobias found books ago. Okay, but and they're not, watch who goes They're in. also, I mean, that wasn't really a correct statement that I made because they're not really trying to find the controllers. They're trying to find people who might be on their side. Like... I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's a pretty reasonable thing to say, like, Mm-mm. if this, like, Meg person actually is not a controller and is trying to fight the Yerks, like, obviously we can't know what she would want, which maybe makes this a problem. But, like, if it's possible to like, that, like, she has these, like, super powerful allies who are able to, like, find her data and find her, like, I don't know. That feels justified. Put your name out there. Hard no. This is absolutely not okay. I'm, I am there's my firm line. You're not allowed to find people's private information. Huh. Not allowed. Not okay. Super bad. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, you know, doxing them and putting this private information yeah. online. But you're, don't do the thing where you break in and find people's personal information. I'm delighted that Marco's girlfriend is actually a 73-year-old. Okay, no, I mean, that was clearly, he should never have looked that up. That was... Well, Not then okay. where, why why do they get to look up? Because they're fighting, like, a guerrilla war, and they're desperate for, mm-hmm. like, allies. Like, it makes yep. sense to me that they need to do this. No, listen, I understand the need. Yeah. It's just also not okay. <laughs> I can't it's not imagine. like they can get a warrant. I'm kind of on Jenny's yeah. side. I can't imagine them, like, and I can't imagine a moral argument where, like, even Cassie would say, like, no, these people didn't agree to share their names with us, therefore we can't go look for these it's people. It's like an internet be... privacy thing that I think, yeah. of course, they're not going to like think about that because for a couple of reasons, they're not before... least of which is they're pre-internet yeah. privacy. But yeah. I feel so strongly that private information is meant to be private. That... Well, but it's just such a minor thing compared to like what the, like this war that they're fighting. Isn't it weird also, that I'm like, kill a guy, but don't look up his private yes, phone it is address. very weird. Yeah, no, I, I recognize no, no, no. this. So, okay, a, couple th- a couple things. The, the, I don't know. No, I would, I would love to get your take on this, Ted. I feel like I've been standing in for moral corruption here. No, no. I Listen, again, I'm okay with them okay. killing a guy. So wait. So first thing, first thing, first thing is they're not violating the sort of... They're not, they're not violating the people's personal devices or whatever. And the information that they're accessing, while it is personal information, isn't... It's not like they're getting into their chat accounts and impersonating them. And in most cases, like associate, like it's 
they're basically looking up their the billing information for their AOL accounts. Sure, they're hacking AOL. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. So it's it's to me that's like a little bit different from really getting at truly personal information. Mm -hmm. They're not logging in and reading their private messages. Totally right. Yep. And I think this maybe also says more about the policies that Web Access America has about letting their employees into the billing system to see all this kind of information. Good point. Right? Uh, though, of course, Axe is an alien who's really good with computers, so maybe it's maybe it's not that bad, right? But at the same time, it's really interesting to me, despite you saying they're sort of like behind the times on privacy things or whatever, the internet as described here feels so similar to the internet of today, even though it's like 20 years later. It's so mm-hmm. funny that the first thing that happens is like, Marco was like, disable your cookies. Yes, Just, yeah. that was really Don't you know about <laughs> cookies? And Cassie's like, what the f*** is a cookie? <laughs> Disabling a cookie? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that didn't make me laugh. There was, I have a lot of thoughts on the 90s internet if we want to move on. <laughs> well, but the, and, and ax, um, Marco, to, in order to be secure, Marco's like, oh, I can access it from my dad's terminal. Or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And Axe is like, no, 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 I can make it even more secure. But they're basically setting up, like, some advanced series of VPNs yeah, to, like, yeah. mask their IP addresses. You know, it doesn't get right. into how too technical it is. But all of the same kind of concepts are there. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't feel as foreign as 20 years ago internet. Yeah. Yeah. I was, Although, as I was expecting 20 years the ago. The way that chat works, did chat ever work <laughs> no. that way? Chat never worked. I'm pretty sure that Applegate has never been in a chat room. <laughs> Definitely or had not. never been in a chat room this time. Because you don't interrupt people. It's The way she seems to think it works is people just type and they and the conversation their typing just continues to scroll so that yeah, as other like people things are typing, things get, things get interspersed, yeah. okay. which is not how <laughs> chat rooms ever worked. Well, it, the, the breaking up sentences, the like word limit per message doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. I no. don't know what that is. But it was just like having multiple talked, conversations. So it got broken up. Yeah. Having multiple conversations that yes. overlap. That part was but fine. Also, it was the breaking up It sentences. was like really good punctuation and grammar that's awesome. and spelling <laughs> but they didn't complete their sentences like as if they hit enter at a random point yes. no it's, it says that there's a rule that you can only have like 10 words per sentence there was something in there about that was that a thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's that, why no that's i mean is that a thing on the internet no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> but it's a rule that's established for the ah. waa chats Okay. Ridiculous. No, it's 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 not realistic, <laughs> but they Jake does explain it. Mm-hmm. My 100% favorite thing about this, like I loved so much about this whole chat room scene, but one of them was the Yerk bot. <laughs> Just I Kill love all the Yerks. Your, their screen name was Yerk Hater, and the only thing they said was like, kill all the Yerks. Kill all the years. And they just intersperse that every so often until somebody actually said something meaningful. And then they'd be like, the sharing is okay. I checked them out. <laughs> Amazing. Or, you should talk to your dad, Gump. Yeah. It was, it was so funny. Yeah. Crack me up. <laughs> Kill all years. I As part of this, I... Um, I looked up how fast internet is in the U.S. these days. I'm like, I don't actually, like, remember the numbers on this. It's per second. Yeah. It's per second. This was, like, such a flashback for me. 56,000 bits per second was the fastest modem out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, apparently, the average internet speed in the U.S. is 93.98 megabits per second, which is a million bits. Just to clarify. 
It's a little bit faster is the thing about it. So we're with X, where he's like, you aren't even counting in millions. We are saying the same thing. It's true. There are also a lot of pop-up ads, which is hilarious. <laughs> when he uh, is logging in for the first time, he typed in my his code word, which is a series of letters and numbers. <laughs> his code word. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> my, my note here was, it sounds like an Andalite wrote this paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my question is, so what do we think his actual screen name is? Oh, yeah, so explain this. <laughs> What's his screen name in the book? His screen name is Bball 24 if I'm recalling correctly, uh-huh. because he used to really love basketball, even though he's not that into it anymore. And in his best game, he got 24 points. Do we think he actually got way fewer points than that and he just inflated it for his fake screen name? That's true. But also, maybe he doesn't. He indicates that maybe he doesn't actually play basketball. So maybe he <gasps> is on the football team. Oh my and god. And they just forgot like, to edit it out. Right. He's the quarterback <laughs> and he's like pigskin 29. You know, like four <laughs> touchdowns and a two-point conversion. My brother's screen name for a very long time was first initial last name WR for wide receiver and then his number because <laughs> he was wide receiver 23 on the football team for do, 10 years. Okay. So Hilarious. do we think that Jake used to play football but then he didn't make the eighth grade team because he's too small and scrawny? <gasps> this whole thing is a, it's just all trying he's to... He's a really small guy. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, he's got like a Napoleon complex. It's amazing. And so and when the bullies called him Big Jake, they were making fun of him. No he's yeah. wonder really we can't figure out how tall he is. And the whole, the whole series of books, he's just trying to like... And when we ever get his perspective, he's trying to, like, amp up his size and his importance. And but other people are in on it. Like, Tobias calls him a big, sleepy kid. <laughs> <laughs> this is a conspiracy to make us think that Jake is this very large person. Marco has a number of fake screen names, including Cassie98. <laughs> that was oh, amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, so when Jake checks his email, he gets a chain letter, mm-hmm. a conspiracy theory email, mm-hmm. and an email from Cassie98. Do you want to do you want to read it for or Gray? Maybe no, you should. I didn't copy it out. Okay, someone I, else, please Greg, read. You it. I, I can read it. Jake, ooh baby, you are the man for me. I love your big manly shoulders. I love your piercing brown eyes. They are brown, right? Most of all, I love the macho manly way you boss us all around, snapping out orders left and right. I think of you as the new Clint Eastwood. I must have you all to myself. Signed, Cassie XXX. Um, and he realizes, of course, that this is Marco from one of his many fake screen names. Cassie is a total Luddite. She's <laughs> Cassie does not know anything about the internet. Okay, but do we agree that this is just Marco putting his real feelings into an email? Yes, 100%. Okay. All right. Just just mm-hmm. making sure we're all on the same page. Yeah. I think these are all Marco's feelings. We mm-hmm. may ship him with X, but he definitely has a crush on Jake. Yeah, time. yeah. Definitely. I mean we'll see if he ever moves on from it. Right now he is all about Jake. Would, do do either of you have the Jake's response because it's also awesome? Oh yes. Cassie, you know I like you too. But I vowed not to get involved with any girl until my best friend Marco gets at least one girl to like him. And since we know that's never going to happen, I guess we'll never get together. Signed, Jake. (laughs) I sent the email feeling pretty pleased with myself. Marco would get a laugh out of it. Marco always looks for humor in any situation, and he doesn't mind if the joke is on him, as long as it's funny. Which is, like, kind of true, but, like, it probably also hurts a little because, you know, 
Marco knows that Jake knows. is never going to return his feelings. We have a few more hilarious internet of the early 90s. <laughs> yes. um, the pop-up ads that he gets. Mm-hmm. Web Access America Visa Card. A new antivirus program. Both very funny. And then uh, he says, I was going to sign off because, as usual, I couldn't really think of <laughs> yeah. much to do online. <laughs> I clicked and then I, I didn't know what to... Uh, he decided he would click the internet icon and brought up the web browser capital I, capital W in that sentence. In the search space, I typed the word yerk. It took a few seconds to get the answer back, which I thought was very funny. Uh, then there was only one. And then there's only one. Ads. Which I was surprised by. They talk about Yahoo. Yahoo's <laughs> alien parasites. No, he's, it's not real. It's not like a Google search. He's oh, doing like a keyword oh, lookup thing. They mention okay. keywords. Right. I mean, I'm just, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Of course, there's more than one hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was great. But I this really... is like under the topics. You, know, you can imagine <laughs> yeah. picking like topics. You know, okay, like other I do. Miscellaneous we had AOL. Work. I remember that. Right. Yeah. Um, I really liked um, Axe's line. There's only so much I can do with this very primitive system. Axe said, two-dimensional screen and actual keyboard instead of a decent psychic link, rigid codes. I'm not an archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> Jake gets the "You've got mail" yes, introduction. You've got mail. <laughs> With a sort of mechanical excitement. <laughs> I, I can still remember that. And yeah. the dial-up modem sound, I can hear it in my head. Right oh, now. yeah. Yep, um, yep. For those of us who had that. One other thing that I really loved was the description of the internet that Rachel gives. Oh, yeah. A mix of truth and lies is like the definition of the internet, Rachel said. <laughs> Equal parts reality and delusion. Mm. Yeah. Still true. Yeah, yeah, true. yeah. yeah. Still true. It's, so, it's, it's basically the same place. We had another great, like, Luddite moment from Axe, who's like, now the humans have the telephone. Why do they still use this primitive system? Just <laughs> like, actually, the phone was invented first, I said. This is more modern. Axe laughed. Humans, you invent the book first, then the computer. Telephone before computer. Very backward. Which, like, it's just got to be Applegate being, like, new technology. I, is I think I was trying to think about it. I feel like a telephone is more like ThoughtSpeak. Right, no. like, oh, you can talk to people over a distance and hear their voice. I guess a telephone would be more impressive to an Andalite who, although if, if they also like, have, like, they can talk at a distance. I think Axe would be impressed by, like, modern internet, you know, VOIP, like... Yeah, but books before chatting. computers, of course books before computers, like... As we've discussed, it doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense. Um, the telephone, maybe, like, maybe he's more impressed with the telephone for some reason. So there is some other great 90s stuff. Everything at the airport. Everything at the airport. First of all, Northwest Airlines. Northwest. I forgot about Northwest. I was like, wait, I, I know that. I haven't seen that in years. That's because they got yep. bought yeah. out in 2008. Yeah, absorbed into Delta, stopped operating in 2010. So it's been a while. They abandoned a backpack and an airport bathroom and were like, we'll just get it later mm-hmm. from Lost and Fout. No, there were going to be like 50 agents like cordoning that thing off. Yes. And, just... and also they're at the terminal. They're at the gate. Yeah, they're they not just outside of security. They just need yeah. tickets to the gate. Yeah, back before two, back before nine eleven, when you could yeah. do that. Like I remember doing that when I was a kid, mm-hmm. meeting my dad at the gate. Awesome. Yeah. Also, they get a full meal on an hour and a half flight, <laughs> including Salisbury yeah. steak. Um, other very nineties things. Really fast was a, a Western Union where you can get money mm-hmm. just by knowing a code word. Oh yeah, they wire money so they can Not buy shoes anymore. Which was brilliant. Yeah. Very smart, but also you could. She didn't need any form of photo ID. She just had a code word, and then she got the money. Crazy. Uh, there was a Hogan's Heroes reference. Mm-hmm. We learned some actual specific stuff about Xena. Mm, she has yes. the I don't know how to say this word. The shakram of her wit. Let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. Don't hurt me with the shakram of your wit, Xena. 
chakram 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 yeah chakram like chakram is like a chakra it's this it's this the discus thing the metal frisbee Mm -hmm. thing the metal frisbee thing yeah exactly (laughs) what are you people cultural morons i also didn't know i also didn't know the word for it marco's ideas for how to spend his billions include having a papa john's pizza restaurant in his basement (laughs) yes um, this is not a 90s thing, but this is just a, like, what is going on here thing. They're <laughs> they're in the bathroom morphing into flies, which, by the way, another very gross morphing description that I hated a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Marco and Axe go into a stall together. That's true. To change. That's true. And they're locked into a stall. Uh-huh. And as they're locked into this stall, someone is trying to get in because they Uh very much need to use the bathroom. And that person, despite the fact that the stall is locked, reaches over the stall door. What the heck? How, where are the latches on these stalls? I don't know. It's gotta be at the top. (laughs) I assume so. And undoes the lock and then locks in on them morphing. And of course, to be fair, they give them like 20 seconds to respond. Before doing this. I also, this is horrible. But what is what does this person see? What are they rewarded with <laughs> oh, no. for their very poor bathroom etic- etiquette? Very poor. At this point, I was about the size of a small dog. I had fly legs, but no wings. I had human eyes and massive fly mouth parts. Which, <laughs> mouth parts, by the way, means this insanely long, hairy, sticky, spit dribbling thing. <laughs> so that's what that guy sees. You know, he kind of deserves it. There are probably like 20 stalls in that bathroom. Just wait for one to open up. Yeah, like it's not their problem. Uh, Yeah, it's real gross. Right before that where they're talking about the the beginning of the morph. The shrinking was the easy part. The other changes were infinitely worse. For one thing, there's the fact that your nose and mouth sort of melt together and grow into this insanely long, hairy, sticky, spit-dribbling thing the books call (laughs) mouth parts. (laughs) Legs spring out of his chest. Poor Tobias is freaking out because his beak sprouted into the mouth parts. Ugh, it's just, it's so disgusting. But then, the upside, Tobias morphs and then gets stuck in a toilet when someone sits down <laughs> on it. <laughs> I did forget about that. Oh, Marco no. cackles with glee as Tobias is about to be booped on. Axe is very confused. And uh, eventually he's like, will you explain what has been going on? And Marco says, when you get older, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, he has no idea what the concept of a diaper is, because as we all know, Andalites only poop once a month, and it comes out in a perfectly sanitary cube, which gets ejected into space. Now it has to go in the podcast, Jenny. It's relevant. That's why why Axe doesn't understand what a diaper is. Andalites don't need them, because it's very precise and methodical. Once per month, the cube just pops out. (laughs) Like wombats. Okay. And so this is their plan. How are they going to find the gate while in Flymorph? It's pretty great. Jake steals a a used diaper from a baby, and then he stuffs it into an ashtray so that they can find the gate later. I like the implication that he, like, steals it from a baby. Like, you know, the baby's, like, crying. He doesn't have this diaper anymore. Also, how big is that ashtray? <laughs> yeah. It's like where there's like the ashtray and then the like trash thing underneath probably. See, I was into, I was expecting it to be like the ashtrays built into like seats and walls oh, in the 90s, no. you know, because you could smoke inside. So you just sort of put it out and think, you're right, it was probably yeah. one of the bigger ones. And, and <laughs> the reason that Jake is the one who has to do this is because... Axe doesn't understand, and, and um, Cassie and Rachel are off there. So it's Marco, Tobias, and Jake. 
And somehow they decide that in their three-way rock, paper, scissors... Which is not a thing. <laughs> right. So if it were a thing, this is not how it would work. They decide they're going to throw rock, paper, scissors. And then the person who is different will lose. Oh. Which is just silly. It doesn't okay. make any sense. But you know what? <laughs> Tobias can thought speak in his human morph, right? I bet he did. Yes. He told Marco to do the same thing he was doing. Although, Uh, I don't know if Marco would have trusted him. But he probably anticipated it and told him to do the wrong thing to get what he wanted. There's all of this stuff going on. (laughs) Marco and Tobias having secret conversations in this book. Wow, yeah. This is new. I I really enjoyed um, Marco and Rachel's banter in this book yeah rachel has a lot of good zingers yeah some very cutting remarks Mm -hmm. i also yes i liked how how much marco seemed to enjoy the banter also like jake saying axe and marco are the computer brains they go in axe is human and marco is himself so marco won't be human rachel asked quickly then laughed at her own joke that was a good one marco complimented her fast too thank you there's a, a line where Jake says, Marco and Rachel have a strange sort of relationship. I haven't figured out whether they pretend they can't stand each other, but secretly like and admire each other, or if they really just can't stand each other. I'm not good at understanding subtle <laughs> yeah. human behavior. I rely on Cassie. This behavior isn't that subtle. Come on. Yes. You can and figure this one out. My note here was, I refuse to consider the enemies to lovers trope for Marco and Rachel. Leave me my head cannons, please. <laughs> I refuse. No, but I do think that they enjoy their... Their dynamic. I do think that they enjoy their dynamic. We had some. We had some good other good uh, axe moments when uh, Tobias is having trouble controlling the fly morph. He says, "Tobias, it's me, Axemili. Reassert your individual consciousness." <laughs> Say what? Margo laughed. Reassert is what? And then also they go to Taco Bell. Jake mm-hmm. says, "And it kind of lightened my mood a little when Axe went nuts and started sucking up packets of hot sauce." <laughs> the manager kicked us out. You kids stay out of here. Buy your crazy friend a bottle of Tabasco if he needs it. <laughs> and Axe is like, what is Tabasco? <laughs> I bet they buy him a bottle and he, you know, goes a little I remember hanging out with people in high school who ate the packs of hot sauce straight. So that seems a perfectly reasonable thing to do. I bet he was, uh, he was being very enthusiastic about it <laughs> in a way strange. that the manager didn't want. We haven't talked about the distraction that they <gasps> do. <laughs> Thank oh, you yeah, for so reminding they're us. not gonna. This is the amazing other way that Jake comes up with. <laughs> and it to is amazing. Get them out of um, morphing someone without their consent. Everyone ready? I asked. Yes, but I just want to say this is totally undignified, Rachel complained. Do you have your mop? Yes, I have my mop, she sneered. <laughs> and, then, and then the controllers are watching them. They're like, is that a bear? Yeah. Is, is it mopping the floor? Uh huh. Have we gone nuts? I'm not nuts. It's the bear who's nuts. That's carpeted up there. <laughs> the, somehow the fact that she's mopping a carpeted floor <laughs> elevates this. Yeah. It's so, so Rachel's funny. a bear morph mopping the carpeted floor. Jake is in tiger morph <clears throat> carrying the mop bucket. <laughs> and Tobias is just going Sparkling in a circle up. and chirping. Yeah. And Cassie is a skunk, which is great. We get the skunk back. It's a non-legal way to deal with the, uh, the guards. I just want to mention, speaking of guards, there are no security cameras in the entire world. Just FYI. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not a single one. They demorph in an elevator and don't think twice yeah. about it. They demorph in Joe Bob Finestre's house, the like person who oh, is yeah. the most intense about security in the right. entire He's world. He's the York NSA, so he definitely yeah. knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I really enjoyed, after all of the 
you know, leadership dilemmas and fear and moral difficulties. Jake just charging through everything in Rhino Morph. It was so satisfying. It's true. <laughs> we haven't talked about why he needed a Rhino Morph. <laughs> <laughs> to go to the Savannah. <laughs> Obviously. Before we get to the Rhino, the, the scene before that is another really great one. because uh-huh. So basically, Rachel gets captured, and they're like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. we got to rescue her. And in the process of doing this, Axe also gets captured. And so immediately, Jake... And so, Jake has to give the order to leave him. Right. So Jake is like, no, 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 we have to leave. We have to get out with the four of us who are still here. And so they regroup on the roof of a Wendy's. And they're like, okay, oh God, how much time do we have left in Morph? Oh no, Axe has been captured. We don't know how much time we have left in Morph. Yeah. Maybe we've been in Morph for like half an hour. So like they don't have much time. I'm they so don't even know if Rachel. This in the time. Yeah, they don't. Mm-hmm. They don't know if Rachel is alive because they saw her get zapped going through the window. Right, yeah. Axe, his wing was broken. He'd been captured by a Rottweiler and taken to these human guards with guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start freaking out. Jake sobs. I don't know what to do. Um, Tobias is saying, "Well, you know, being trapped as a bird isn't the worst thing that could happen to Rachel." Marco is like, "Oh yeah, you would say that, you know, bird boy." And Tobias is like, "No, I mean, she could be dead, <laughs> right?" And so they're all yeah. like, really, really losing it. And Marco's finally like, Jake, you got us into this. Now get us out. Sometimes, I feel like Marco did that in Eleven also, where he calls on Jake to be sort of superhuman. Yeah. And then Cassie tries to defend Jake, and that makes Jake feel even Mm. worse. So then what's Jake's decision? He goes to the gardens to get a rhino. Why does he think that's going to help? Because they just need to bust through. They need to not even care about the security. I mean, I will say, Jake is actually... For all that he's kind of freaking out and feeling very guilty about getting them all into this mess, he actually considers this very carefully. Like, mm-hmm. He realizes somehow in the midst of all of this panic that the guards aren't controllers mm-hmm. because there were no Hork-Bajir, normal guns, and they had dogs. And therefore, the reason they're attacking birds is not because they're controllers who are looking for antelope bandits. But for another reason. And it turns out there's one controller looking for Antelite Bandits, but his security but guards don't. aren't. Which is actually quite a good point. And that what they need to do is morph outside the outer fence, then get all the way up the hill, through all of these guards and everything. And, and three is, fences. And three fences. <laughs> and that is when Jake realizes. Yeah, so for all that we're beating up Jake for his leadership skills, the fact that he can keep his cool... And then yeah. come up with the rhino plan. Is that It's actually a really good plan. He right? does a great job, And yeah. he starts the book thinking, oh, the Animorphs, we're like expert burglars. We can pull off any heist in the world, right? <laughs> and put in this situation where there's like all these security systems. He doesn't continue trying to think, okay, well, maybe we can be spiders. Maybe we can be something else. He's like, oh, this is actually a new idea. We just have to brute force, right? Mm-hmm. We're just going to, we're going to break things and not ask questions. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he later on to deal with the armed guards he just, he's like, okay, if I try and attack them, they'll shoot me with a gun. So why don't I just tell them, hey, I'm going to kill you. Get out of here. <laughs> and they're like, and, you know what? I realize we're talking to a tiger, but that tiger's making a good point. Let's go. <laughs> right. So he, he does manage to pull a, a a success out of a really, really bad situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he knocks down, he, he, as, as the rhino, he like... He does what he says he's going to do, right? Knocks down fences, kicks in the doors, takes a couple bullets. He's totally fine. And I loved that at the end, when they've gone through all of this and they're getting out, Rachel looks around and she's like, oh, man, someone really destroyed this place. (laughs) 
That must have been awesome. Who did that? <laughs> this is the thing where they're cousins. Yeah. yeah. Well, if the, be, being the rhino is very much like being the grizzly bear. Oh, yeah. With a difference. The rhino... Well, do you want to talk about the, what the rhino means for Jake? Or? No, please okay. go ahead. So, so the rhino is calm. It's an uh-huh. herbivore. It's like pretty chilled out. Uh-huh. And Jake is like, but I can use this. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pissed off. I'm mm-hmm. going to bring my own rage to this thing. And I'm going to turn it into mm-hmm. a something that can mess things up mm-hmm. in the way that, you know, the grizzly bear has a little more of that inherent, like, mm-hmm. power type stuff. Mm-hmm. Jake is like, actually, the rhino is a powerful tool that I'm going to use with my own yeah. kind of... Well, anger. it's just such a, it's such a symbol of, like, his frustration with all these difficult decisions. He can just charge through everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just and nothing he, will stop him. Fi- he finds another way. Mm-hmm. I really... Like, while I was reading that, I was waiting for, like, okay, but where's the part where he misses the door and goes through the wall? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Because they're, they're, yeah, there's the like, counting fences. And yeah. Marco I was like, in one to... of these times, he misses the part where he's supposed to go through, but gets through anyway. Right. And Marco's, like, trying to direct him, because Rhino's have really poor vision. And so he's like, oh, a little to the left, a little to the right. And then he gets to the what he thinks is the final door, and he's like, oh, this door is pretty tough. That was a tough door. Like, after he's gone through, and Marco's like, yeah, you, you missed the door. That was the wall, but good job. <laughs> Doing great, Betty. Wait, uh, we should talk about the fact that we know there are Yerk twins now. Oh, we should talk about that. Yeah. What is a Yerk twin? So it's when two Yerks kind of split from the same grub, I believe was the description. So I don't think we know much more than that. But this guy, Joe Bob Finestre's Yerk, has the designation Esplan 9466. Which is the the double six apparently means they're twins. And this is the thing where like it's been really confusing because they have numbers that are ranks, like, you know, the Innis of the second century thing must mean it's a powerful Innis, like it's risen that far. But also they seem to have numbers that are designations that they, like, they, get, they get at birth and they keep. And we I talked was confused before by that, about, too. Yeah. yeah. Presumably, Visser 3 is Esplan 946, full stop. Mm-hmm. Right, because oh, you don't think twins, he also has a double six? No, because the twins, oh, there's the, the greater the major, and the lesser yeah. one, like mm-hmm. the prime one and the the bad one, yeah. and so double six is bad. So I'm assuming mm-hmm. that no double six is the superior one. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This so, is another very weird insight into the Yerks because when there are twins, he says one is considered the prime and one the lesser. I'm the lesser. My brother, my twin, is the prime. To him go the best assignments, the best hosts. The rank, the power, the glory, and to me, only what I can take. But also, what we've seen in other places is that all the Yerks seem to be operating on that same system, that it's what they can take and kind mm-hmm. of make for themselves, not that yeah, he they might are just have a chip on his shoulder. Yes, that seems, <laughs> that seems true. But he did manage to take quite a lot, and that he's the second richest human. And uh, also, it turns out that Yerks invented the internet. They did. <laughs> well, at least AOL. Yes, that's true. They invented Web 1.0 or whatever. That the was. other like technology thing that we learn is that so the Rachel and Axe do sort of run out of morphing time mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. scenario, mm-hmm. but Esplan nine four double six, aka Joe Bob Finestre, yeah, has put them into biostasis. Which means that they're like totally frozen in time, mm-hmm. which seems to keep their bodies from going through the like morphing, like the, the morphing mm-hmm. clock is also yeah, frozen. Yeah. So during this whole debate that they have with Joe Bob, Rachel is like technically about to run out of time, but 
it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that that technology even exists. Yeah. If the Animorphs had this, they could go on like a long space journey in one morph. They should get one of those. <laughs> they can probably buy them at the Pluto Walmart. Oh, incidentally, the Animorphs are terrible Andalites. Jake nods his head, which we know. Andalites do <laughs> yes. not do. Yeah, that was a good call. But fortunately, Esplan 9466, unlike his twin, has never had an Andalite body, so he doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Anything else we want to talk about? I do. There's one thing that I have to say, which is that, just going back through my notes, when they first find the compound, Mm -hmm. uh, Rachel suggests, why don't we just burn it down? (laughs) So actually, I was feeling pretty confident that it was Jake. But I could also see that Rachel felt left out (laughs) and went back later and started the fire, because it was originally her idea. Oh, yeah, Um, she had her. And then then Jake's like, maybe not. And Rachel, or then he says, she nodded like she understood. I'm so pretty sure she actually That did. was actually at the Web Access America oh, building oh, where... Uh, okay, okay. They're, so then she, she gave they're the like, idea. They're like, we need a distraction. She's like, we just start a fire. <laughs> okay. Though I do you're kind right, of like right. the theory that Rachel got the whole story from, like, you know, probably a couple of different sources. Tobias told her all about it. Cassie told her all about it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want to burn that guy's house down. <laughs> I do love that. I think that's... a. I love it. I think that's to great. say, okay, I do kind of like the idea that Jake saw that the fire had happened was like... Or, like, thought about, like, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And then saw that it happens, like, I could have, like, that That was something I thought about. Like, I think that is possible. Right, right, Even right. though the implication is that he did it. Yeah. I also had a couple axe things I wanted to mention. So yeah. they're on the York website, and they have, like, known aliens. And so there's a bad drawing of a hork mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, that seems plausible. And then there's a little, a little gray man, classic Area 51 alien. Mm-hmm. And axe is like, oh, yeah, that's a Scritnaw. My brother had some adventures with the Scritna, but I never got any of the details. Um, <laughs> we never got And he, he never kind of explains, story. oh yeah, the gnaw, well this is a gnaw because the Scrit or the cockroach things, but right. then they hatch, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So I liked that continuity. Um, and then in Human Morph, he, when he stutters and repeats things because he likes the sound, yeah. he kind of takes it a step further this time because he he's giving them some kind of percentage. And uh-huh. So he says percent, ratio. Ratio, Horatio, Horatio. <laughs> so he's kind of like free associating and rhyming. Yeah, mm-hmm. like because um, words probably it doesn't matter if they sound the same because like they're sort of thoughts in yeah. In so I'm hoping that we get some like real spoken word poetry from that <laughs> mm. later. I totally glossed over the thing where he tried to eat a cow pie in like the last paragraph of the book. Correct <laughs> right, me because that's normal. Yeah, <laughs> normal acts. Well, he had so much exposure to poop in this book. <laughs> He's confused um, about its role. It's got pie right in the title. Also, <laughs> Axe is confused about um, who Spider-Man is. Oh, yeah. And I just refuse to believe that Marco has not explained Spider-Man to Axe. I'm sure Axe Marco either. will explain Spider-Man to Axe after... I have uh, to think that Axe is adventure. being sarcastic, or he loves the Spider-Man story so much. He's playing dumb, <laughs> so he gets to hear it he, He's gotten Marco to tell him the story like five times, and so he's like, yeah, who's Spider-Man? And Marco's like, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me my favorite bedtime story. Exactly. All right. Okay. That's everything I have. Are we ready for the underground? Oh, man. I am ready. <laughs> I am ready. I'm very I'm excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> did you look it up? I did. Okay. You have a look on your face like you I don't just, love it. I hate it so much. Okay, but you usually love the cover, so why is this one different? <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> Actually, I gotta say... I, it, barring the third one, this isn't as bad as some of the other ones have been. It's bad. 
but it's like, uh, <laughs> it's not as bad as some of the other ones. Yeah, no, I, even the third one, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's not it's terrible. It's like a little bat demon. She is a so demon. Who, yeah. who and what? So, so this what? is this is Rachel to Rachel book. Uh, Ted's never read these before, so you have to guide him through. My apologies, Ted. <laughs> um, she is morphing into a bat. I'm going to go with a vampire bat. Seems, let's get specific <laughs> about this. Um, the title is The Underground, and the little cut text on the top is, There's nothing to fear but the Yerks themselves, <laughs> which is, again, not helpful. Um, okay, so it's a Rachel book. This uh, is another one where if you get anywhere near the plot, I will be so impressed. Okay, well, that's not comforting at all. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess that the underground is the, the yerk pool. Mm-hmm. They found another way in, but this time it's through some sort of cave in the woods, Ooh. which is why they need a bat. Okay. So she has to find and morph a bat to blend in uh-huh. in the caves. What are they going to do in the yerk pool? Are they just going to attack it? or? Yeah. Okay. They're going to attack the yerk pool again. So like okay. book one redux. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, and also, let's just <laughs> get really specific because, you know. I'm this is where you're going to get the exact plot, I decided. <laughs> it turns out that the Yerks are using crystals from mm-hmm. this cave oh, okay. as a way to prism the Candrona rays <gasps> and get more power for the Yerks. Oh, and they're trying idea. to, Rachel's going to go in and blow up the cave. And how does Rachel okay. feel about all of this? She loves it. She's super on board with it. She maybe doesn't like the bat morph as much mm-hmm. because she doesn't get to attack things, <laughs> but she does get to blow up a crystal cave, and that's pretty much her Who jam. doesn't want to do that? Well, exactly. Yeah. All right. Nice. Well, I'm so excited to see her do all this next time. Uh, next time on Animorphology. <laughs> the Underground. If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website. I expect this to be full Captain Diaper Pants. Is that his name? Captain, Captain Underpants. Underpants. Diaper Pants doesn't Maybe make any sense. there's like a, you know, a younger version called Captain Diaper Pants, which would be great. They should write that. The little sidekick. <laughs>